0: Anybody recognize that song? Do you know who it is? Sarah Groves. She's an American Christian uh, songwriter and singer. What's she singing about? Pardon me? Grace. Grace. Anyone else? Salvation. Salvation. What was the clue? Pardon me? The change? Something's changed in me, right? I love this song. And it broke wide open, and what? It spilled out. I mean, <laughs> this, is a New Testament, this is New Testament Christianity. Something changed in me, and it broke wide open, and it spilled out. I love this song. Um, I still remember the first time I heard it, and we heard it on the end of a movie, and I, th- I, I thought it was a secular song at first, and I said, Karen, she's, she's, singing, about, um, she's singing about conversion. And uh, I've loved that song ever since. It's what Jesus told Nicodemus. What did He tell Nicodemus in John chapter three? Anybody remember? You must be born again. There must be a change. There must be a change. Um, And that next line, I just—it breaks wide open, and it all spills out. It's what genuine Christianity is. It spills out into the life. Amen? If it's not spilling out into your life, you don't have it yet. You're playing religion. You're playing church. If it's not spilling out in your work life, and in your study life, and in your relational life, and in your married life, and every other life, segment of your life, if it's not spilling out in those areas, you've not met Him yet. This is the element, I think, of the song and as well the New Testament. Don't you love how Sarah sings? She says, I can't, I I cannot make this. I can't I can't make this happen. I couldn't do it. I couldn't manufacture this. I couldn't create this within myself. It's bigger than religion. I couldn't do it, she says. It's a miraculous thing. The darkness came in, you know, the, the light came into the darkness of my heart, she sings. Then she says, I can't fake it. This change is so big, it's so real, it's so extreme, it's so radical. I could never fake this. Although we know (laughs) millions of people seek to fake it. But she's on on target here biblically. She says, "I I can't fake it. It's too beautiful, it's too radical, it's too big. Then she says, I can't afford it. It's so infinitely valuable. I could never buy this. I could never pay for this. And then she says what? But it's mine. And this is really 1 Peter chapter 1. <laughs> All this awesome God work that God has done in his people. We can't make it, we can't fake it, and we can't afford it, but he did it. As you know, this is a letter to suffering Christians undergoing a fierce persecution. We've been talking about that the last several weeks. Some have been arrested, some have been thrown in jail. Some of them have had their property seized. Families have been broken up. Some of them have been enslaved and beaten and even killed. And we've been asking the question, why is Peter worshiping? When he's writing to these suffering people, why is Peter worshiping? Well, it's the best time to worship, beloved. It's the best time to remember that we're passing through on the hard day. You need to remember, I'm out of here, right? I'm out of here. And Peter is reminding them. He's, he can't help it, man. If you, just read, if you just read 1 Peter chapter 1, the first 12 verses, you could just feel Peter, he can't help it. It's just like pouring out of his pen this doxology and all this weighty theology. I mean, why is he doing this? These people have lost everything exactly. They've lost everything, but they'll never lose who? God. They'll never lose The thing that is most precious. The person, let me say it better, the person who is most precious in their life, they can't lose it. Why can't they lose Him? Why can't they lose God? Why can't we lose God? Amen. Romans chapter 8. He's God. He's God. He's loved us. He's come for us. Nothing can separate us as was said nothing can separate us from the love of God. Beloved, all this God work that we've been looking at in First Peter, it's ours. It doesn't matter. You can lose everything. Remember Jesus said, He said, you know, don't fear the one that can kill the body. You can lose your body. You can lose your physical life. Jesus says, don't fear that. Why do we not fear that? Because we have our spiritual life with God, no one can separate us, as Rachel said. No one can separate us from the thing that is most valuable, the thing that is most important, the person that is most valuable, the person that is most important. And He is our Creator, Redeemer, God. You guys know the litany? This is my last sermon in chapter 1 of 1 Peter. So I'm going to take the liberty to do it at least one more time. I may do it two more times. But you need to not ever forget what Peter is saying to you. If you're a Christian tonight, if you're born again, you love Christ. When the hard day comes, go to 1 Peter. And you just meditate deeply on those first 12 verses. Peter's saying, hey, I know it's hard. But listen, next time the loss and the pain and the suffering and the grief and affliction and distress and persecution come to you, I pray that you will remember 1 Peter chapter 1, the first few verses, and you will remember what is yours by the absolute free grace of God. You didn't earn any of this. You didn't even seek any of this. You didn't even really want any of this. If we understand all the Scripture says about fallen man... But God came for you. You guys know the litany. I've got to do it at least one more time. God has chosen you. That makes some people uncomfortable? Hey, I just preach what the text says. Okay? God has chosen you. He's redeemed you with His blood. He's indwelt you with His Spirit. He's called you to be born again. He's prepared an imperishable inheritance for you. He is protecting you by His omnipotent power. He has ordained your trials and is perfecting your faith through them. And what is the outcome of all of this? What is the outcome? 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 9. Someone tell me, verse 9. What is the outcome of all of that? 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 9. Someone tell me. The salvation of your souls. I know it's hard sometimes, but remember, you belong to God and you're on your way to him, and you'll be with him for a billion eternities. And Rachel said it right. Nothing can change that. No one can change that. Our God is God. He holds His people, right? He holds His people. (laughs) Wow. You know, this is why Peter is worshiping. He's worshiping in front of these, these suffering people and he's saying, Remember, remember what you have, remember what you've been given. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful text. And who can undo all that God has done? We've been saying it. No one. Who can bring a charge against the elect? It was in the music. No one. Who will separate us from the love of God? No one. Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? No. I mean, Rachel basically preached the sermon right there early. No! For we are overwhelming conquerors in Christ Jesus. God says, Romans chapter 8, for neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate my children from my love. It is a done deal. It is done. It is done. Eternally done. I know it's hard sometimes, but beloved, the best days are yet to come. Things we can't even begin to imagine that God has prepared for us. I know it's hard sometimes. I know we must cry sometimes. I know we must grieve sometimes. I know it hurts sometimes. But our God is even working the hard thing for good. We've been talking a lot about that as well. We cannot make it. We cannot fake it. We cannot afford it. But God has done it. Therefore, what? Remember? The other side of the litany? The first part of the litany is all that God has done. The second part of the litany is after the therefore in the scriptures there in 1 Peter chapter 1. Therefore, God says, because all of this stuff is, is true of me, verses 1 through 9, let all of this stuff be true of you. Verses 17 to 21, gird up your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Hope fully in my promises. Live as my obedient children. Forsake your former lusts and be holy for i am holy conduct yourselves in fear let your faith hope your faith and hope be in god and we're going to see that again tonight the same kind of therefore implication in verses 22 to 25 god says because i've saved you in the most extraordinary way what does he say there what's the command in verse 22 i've saved you in the most extraordinary way so what does he say i expect you to love each other in the most extraordinary way. This is a, you know, I think we preached about this the first in the first of the year, but you can never preach too much about loving one another. Right? This is who we're supposed to be. Jesus said, All men will know your mind because you go to church, right? No. All men will know your mind because of how you love one another. And you love one another even as I have loved you. Beloved. I'm supposed to love Horatio as Christ has loved me. That's what it means to be a Christian. And Horatio is supposed to love Chinelo as Christ has loved him. And Chinelo is to love Angie as Christ has loved her. Do you understand what it means to be a Christian? (laughs) Do you understand? These are the the words of, of Jesus. Let me read the text. Verse 22, since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you've been born again not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and abiding Word of God. Verse 24, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off But the word of the Lord abides forever, and this is the word which we have preached to you. Four times in this short letter, Peter is going to remind us to love one another. He was sitting in the upper room the night before the the crucifixion, and he heard Jesus give this new command. I'll just read it to you. I've already alluded to it. John 13, 34, and 35. Jesus says, A new command I give to you Love one another, even as I have loved you by this. All men will know you belong to me, that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. So how is this a new commandment? Someone tell me. How is this a new commandment? Why is this a new commandment? What does the Old Testament command us to do? To love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. If you listen carefully, you understand this is infinitely above... Loving our neighbor as ourselves, We're to love our brother or sister in Christ. How? Remind me. How? As Christ loved us. That's infinitely above loving your neighbor as yourself. This is a new commandment. This is a new commandment. An awesome commandment. This is a whole new standard that Jesus is laying down for his people. Jesus said it is by selfless and sacrificial love in the body that the world will know you're really a Christian. The world doesn't know you're a Christian simply because you say you're a Christian. You know, a lot of people say they're Christians. And then they, they go out in the world and they live just like the world. Well, obviously, that's not a real Christian. It's not because you say you're a Christian Jesus said, it's not because you say you're a Christian. It's how you love Christians. That's when they will know that you are mine. Beloved, how are you loving the body? Don't talk to me about your Christianity unless you are loving the body. Don't talk about it unless you are actively loving the body. Because that's the only grounds upon which Jesus gives the world the right to judge us. Are we genuine or not? Are we real or not? How does the world know? By watching you love this body. Beloved, this is a big deal with God. Jesus said it, Peter said it, John said it. This is a big deal. If you go read 1 John, boom, 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 boom. That's all you see in that book almost. You know, 1 John is the book of assurance. If you want to know you're a Christian, go read 1 John. If you look like 1 John, there's no question. You belong to Christ. But the whole book is love the brethren, love the brethren, love the brethren, love the brethren. The whole book is just over and over and over again. 1 John 3.16 We know love by this that Jesus laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. What's He talking about there? Is He talking about martyrdom? No. He's talking about selflessly, open-handedly, sacrificially loving the body. And you can, you, know, you can tell this from the two verses that follow. He goes on and He says, "...but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue." But indeed and in truth, did you hear it? We don't just come in here and talk about it. What do real Christians do? Someone tell me, what did the text say? We do it indeed and in truth. We go do it. We are word doers. We are word doers Christians are. Word doers. It's what Sarah Groves was saying. <laughs> if it's real on the inside, it comes out. It comes out in your deeds. I looked up this Greek word, fervent. It's a very strong word. It means to be stretched out to the limit of endurance. You're to love each other to the limits of your endurance. Do you understand, beloved? (laughs) You you know, this is not just, hey, great to see you. How are you doing? It's deeper than that. When there's a need in the body, the body is to respond. You know I've said this many times but you know sometimes my phone rings and someone has a need and you know my first response I'm just making a confession here you know I, I'm really comfortable right now <laughs> I'm sitting here I'm sitting I'm having dinner with my wife and it's it's one of her awesome dishes and then I got this pie waiting for me afterwards you know and I you know my whole flesh is going and then I remember what Jesus said You love this person you love them selflessly, sacrificially. Beloved, this is what He's calling us. It's never convenient to love like this. You got that? You know this. Those of you who are Christians, you know it's never convenient to love like this. The kind of love that Jesus is calling us to. It's never convenient. You can't plan for it. Sometimes your phone rings and you just got to go. You just got to go. It's... uh, yeah, the English synonyms here of fervent is ardently, enthusiastically, eagerly, zealously, excitedly, energetically. Is that how you're loving the body of Christ? This is the Word of God. It's roll up your sleeves and go to work kind of love. It's courageous and expensive love. It's blood, sweat, and tears love. That's what it is. That's what Jesus is calling us to. Most of you will recognize this word. The word here, uh, the Greek word is agape. It's not about how you feel. It's not about your emotions. What's it about? Does anyone know? We can certainly have warm feelings and emotions for our, 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 our brethren. We should, of course. Absolutely. But this is a love of will, it's a love of choice. This is what God is commanding. You know, many people object and say, well, how can God command us to love someone? I may not feel love this is not about how you feel. It's about what God says. And it's about what you claim to be. You claim to be a Christian. Jesus says, love the brethren, even as I have loved you. It's huge, beloved. And we know, all of us know, all of us that think seriously about this, we know we can't do this in our own flesh. We know we can't. We know we probably don't even want to in our own flesh. But only as we submit to the Lordship of Jesus and the leading and the power of the Holy Spirit. Can we love like this? It's an act of the will. So where do believers get the capacity and desire to love like this? Peter tells us there at the beginning of verse 22, Well, it happened when in obedience to the truth you purified your souls. Then he tells us also, and expands on this in verse 22, So what is Peter saying there in verse 22? Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls. He's taking us all the way back. Karen said it earlier. He's taking us all the way back to salvation. This is what he's talking about. The capacity to love like this happened when you were born again. And it happened when you decided I'm going to obey Christ no matter what it costs. He's my God. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. I will obey Him no matter what it costs. This is what Peter's doing, he's taking us back to the point of our salvation. He's highlighting the human response to all the God work that we've been talking about in chapter 1 of 1 Peter. All the God work that God is talking about here in the first nine verses of 1 Peter. We understand that men are commanded to repent. They are commanded to believe. They are commanded to follow Christ. This is what He's talking about. When that first happened in your heart, when you first responded to the work of God in your heart, that's what He's talking about. That's when you got the capacity. You begin to learn the capacity to love like this, to love as Jesus has commanded us to love. You know, in Acts 15.9, God says, the believer's heart is cleansed by faith. So let me ask you a theological question. Is the believer's heart cleansed by faith or is it cleansed by obedience as we just saw in our text? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Which is it? Which is it? Is it uh, the believer's heart? Is it cleansed by obedience or is it cleansed by faith? What's the answer? Yes. Because if the faith is real, the obedience will be there. If the change happened, it will spill out. This is New Testament Christianity. Everything else is speculation. This is what God says. My people are born again. They are new creatures. The old stuff's gone. The new stuff's coming. We're not immediately perfect. We understand that. Sanctification is a process. We get that. But we have a new appetite. Man, those new things are much sweeter than the old things. And We're putting down, we're putting down our sin and our lusts as we pursue... The Lord, it's what we touched on last week in James chapter 2, verse 17. Faith, if it has no works... Someone told, someone told me last week. Faith, if it has no works, is what? It's dead. It's useless. If, you're not, if it's not spilling out in your life, your faith is dead. It is useless. This is what the Word of God is saying. God is clear. By itself, faith... Let me finish 2:17, James 2:17. "Faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. If faith is by itself, if there are no works stimulated by that faith, God says, this is not true faith. This is not saving faith. I always loved Eugene Peterson. you guys know Eugene Peterson is the guy that wrote the paraphrase, uh, the message. His paraphrase on James 2:17. Don't ever forget it. It's the best. One. I think it's the best one in, in in the whole Bible. In his paraphrase, it's his best one in the whole book. He says, "Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense?" Apparently, it's not obvious to many people in the professed church. But I love that. Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts, it's outrageous nonsense. It's outrageous nonsense to say you're a Christian and then live like the world. It's outrageous nonsense. In the words of Eugene Peter said, it's outrageous nonsense to to say you have faith, but but you're not obedient to the Word of God. Again, I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about your life is moving in that direction. You're forsaking your sin and you're moving forward in holiness with the Lord and sanctification. It's outrageous nonsense to say you believe right things, but you don't live right things. This is outrageous nonsense. (laughs) I love that. I just absolutely love that paraphrase. I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant, as they say in the UK. God says this kind of faith that talks but doesn't do, it's like demon faith. I mean, the demons are consummate biblical theologians. They are utterly orthodox. They believe everything God says. They know it's true. They believe it. They just never do it. They just never do it. It doesn't move their heart. They never do it. God says, oh, you believe I'm God? That's great. The devil believes. The demons believe. And Anybody remember what else he says? And they tremble. You know, there's a lot of people sitting in churches nowadays. They say they believe, but they don't tremble. You know. We talked a lot about it a couple weeks ago. About what it means to have a healthy fear of, of God. God is unambiguous in the Bible. Faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is not alone. It is not by itself. If the change happened, it will spill out into the life. James two twenty two says faith is perfected by is perfected in works, meaning it is consummated, it is matured, it is realized. So we're back to Sarah Groves' song. If it's real on the inside, it will spill out. So if the whole born again thing is real, as Peter's saying, you will. Love the brethren. You say, Jim, I, I don't feel any particular affection for you. I understand there's a lot of people who feel no particular affection for me, but if you are a Christian, you are commanded to love me. I don't care how obnoxious I am. And if I'm really, really obnoxious, you need to rebuke me. Say, Jim, you got to stop being so obnoxious so I can love you. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, this is what the Word of God is Saying to us a fervent love, an energetic love, a zealous love. I know it's a high bar, but this is the word of God. This is what God is saying to us. Again, in verse 22, Peter is emphasizing man's necessary response. Our response is obedience to the truth, which purifies our souls. That's man's response. And again, in, uh, Uh, Verse 23, Peter is emphasizing the sovereign work of God in the heart of His people. He's he's highlighting there in verse 23, yes, we can love like this because we are what? Born again. We're born of God. As John 3 says, we're begotten of God. We are His children. It's what the Holy Spirit was teaching us in 1 Peter 1.3. Remember, He said, that God has caused us to be born again. A couple of weeks ago, as we looked at that great verse there, verse 3 in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, uh, we talked a little bit about what the Bible teaches about being born again. And you may remember, I challenged you to learn to think and speak biblically about it. Some of you who were here, you may remember that it is in fact a supernatural miracle in our lives. You know, if you ask your average churchgoer today, how do you know you're born again? You're gonna hear something like, Well, I prayed a prayer, I was baptized, I made a profession of faith, I did some sacrament, I did some ordinance, all those things, all those things can be good in their place. But that's not how you know. You can do those things and not be born again. Amen. It's epidemic in the church. And denominations talk like they can manage and and control uh, uh, conversion. They speak like they control it. Like if you do the magic thing, you're converted. You never see this in the Bible. You don't ever see this in the Bible. You simply don't see this kind of language in Scripture you may remember that during that look there at verse 3 in 1 Peter, uh, we surveyed many verses in the New Testament. Don't have time to go into it all. If you want those notes, let me know. I'll get them for you. But we understand to talk biblically about the new birth, we need to say things like God caused it. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. God caused it. God made it happen. God created it. God imparted it. God revealed it. God granted it. God gives it denominations and popes and priests and preachers do not. This is the work of God. An almighty, sovereign God. And I pray we would have some humility. We certainly do in this church. We bow low before a great God. We don't beat our chests. If it weren't for His grace, I know where I would be. (laughs) If it weren't for His sovereign grace, I know where I'd be right now. And you might know where you would be as well. God came into, you know, as I heard one woman say one time when she was giving her testimony, she said, I never forgot it. And I've used it a lot since then. She said, God invaded my life. I love that. God invaded my life. Oh, something changed. Oh, yeah, it spilled out. It spilled out. Sarah Groves, that's a home run, man. I'd love to meet her sometime. If I don't meet her on this side, I'll meet her. On the next side. And God says, Well, how do you do this? How do you love like this? How do you live like this? What is the the agency or the vehicle of the new birth? What does He tell us there in verse 23? What is the agency or vehicle of being born again? It's the Word of God, right? That's why ICM preaches the Word of God. We don't do culture. We don't do politics. We don't do society. We don't do entertainment. We don't do the arts. All those things are fine in their context but they are meaningless compared to the power of God's Word. We preach His Word and we teach His Word. That's all we do. That's all we do. We don't put on shows. We don't have carnivals. We don't have clowns. Spider-Man's not going to show up one day. You know, he does in the States. He's not going to show up at ICM as long as I'm pastor. It's not about that junk. It's about God saving His people and bringing glory to His Son. That's what it's about, beloved. And He says, you can love like this because I've loved you like this and I've changed your heart. God knows He's changed your heart. He did it. He's changed. He's changed your heart. And it happens by the, the living and abiding Word of God. I, I love Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. You guys will remember this text, some of you. He says, if our Gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing in whose case the God, little g, the little g God of this world has blinded, their minds, uh, of the, has blinded the mind of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So how can we believe if the gospel is veiled and Satan has blinded our eyes because God breaks through? And the very next verse is there in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. He says, For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. What is the Holy Spirit comparing the new birth of man to? He's comparing it to the birth of the cosmos. He's referring to Genesis chapter 1. God said, Let there be light. Oh, and there was. Actually, everything God said, let there be. Oh, there was. Why? Because of the power of his word. And that's the power by which Christians are converted. Beloved, go read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, and meditate deeply upon them. God moved with creator power to, to dispense. To dispense with the darkness in the cosmos, He moves with creative power to dispense with the darkness in the human heart. As Sarah Groves sang, (laughs) the light came in. The light came in. So we see the omnipotent power of God's Word in the created order, and we see the omnipotent power of God's Word in the regeneration of His children. I think we did this verse maybe last week or the week before. I forget now. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. Remember what God says? My word, which goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me what? Void or empty. When He speaks it, it happens. And He goes on He says, "...without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it by God's word, galaxies stand forth, darkness gives way to light, storms cease, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lepers are clean, and dead men come out of tombs." And God speaks light into the heart of his people. Beloved, we should really just get on our face and just worship for about five hours. And that still wouldn't be enough. We need to worship five more hours. I know half of you'd be asleep in thirty minutes. This is unspeakably beautiful theology. I I'm always amazed. You go into we I've told you this, Karen and I, we visit around a lot, we go home and You go into these dead churches and it's like, come on. How can you be dead? How can you not be jazzed about what the Lord is doing, what the Lord has said? You guys know how genuine conversion happens. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing what? The Word of God. Everything else is speculation. Notice what else God says about His Word in regard to the new birth there in verse 23. Yes, it's omnipotent, but does someone want to tell me what else it is? It's imperishable. It's imperishable. It's, it's omnipotent. His Word is omnipotent and it's imperishable. Peter loves this Word. He keeps saying this Word. Verse 4, our inheritance is imperishable. Verse 7, our faith is imperishable. Verse 18, our ransom is imperishable. Not only is God's Word omnipotent, it is eternal. The Word of the Lord abides forever. And beloved, when it gets hard, that's where you stand as a Christian. You stand on His Word. You stand on His promise. And the devil's whispering in your ear. He's saying he doesn't love you, man. He ain't got no power. He's not really there. He's not paying attention. Or he'd swoop in and rescue you right now. Beloved, don't listen to the devil Don't even listen to your own mind when your mind starts talking like that. You preach to yourself. I say it to you all the time, so I won't go down that road. Preach to yourself. You preach to yourself from the Word of God. You don't understand what God's doing just now, but you trust Him. You trust Him. And you'll stand on His Word. And I love... I love how he finishes this chapter at the end of verse 25 there. He says, And this is the Word that was preached to you. The infallible, invincible, imperishable, miracle-working Word of God. This is what you have, beloved. The world can never take it. You can lose everything and you still have everything. Does that make sense? You still have everything that matters. You still have everything that matters. You have God in His Word. Yeah, we should get on our face, but we won't. Maybe you should go home and get on your face. The Bible's crystal clear. In this fallen world Christians will suffer. I just made a, a short list of some of the things I saw in the Bible that will happen in a Christian's life, obviously contrary to the health, wealth, and prosperity garbage that is that permeates many places in the world. But the Christian, the biblical Christian, will will undergo afflictions, hardships, distresses, trials, difficulties, rejection, poverty, loss, pain, suffering, sorrow, sickness, tribulations, dangers, and even martyrdom. And these are not because we lack faith. This is because our sovereign God is at work in our life. And when the hard thing comes, I've said it to you a hundred times, when the hard thing comes, that's when you do evangelism you just keep loving God. You just keep treasuring God. You just keep worshiping God. And everybody around you is going, man, how can you love this God? Look how hard your life is. (laughs) Man, that's just perishable stuff. That's perishable. Let me tell you about someone who's imperishable. Let me tell you about what I I have. (laughs) It's imperishable. Yeah, I've lost some stuff. I've lost some loved ones. I've lost some things. But I'm never going to lose God. I told you last week... The world can have our pain and our tears and our grief, but they can never have our faith. The world can never have our faith. They can, the world can never have our joy. The world can never have our hope. The world can't take these things from us because our hope is our God. I love this. Peter, he's writing to first century Christians who are, have suffered greatly. And Peter's reminding them of what That what they've lost is perishable, but what they've gained is imperishable. And I know you know that I love this beautiful litany and you know I'm going to say it one more time, right? And then I'm not going to say it anymore. So you better enjoy it. This will be the last time I say it to you. Um, This litany from 1 Peter. In the first 12 verses, God says, I've chosen you. I've redeemed you with my blood. I've indwelt you with my spirit. I've caused you to be born again. I've prepared an imperishable inheritance for you. I'm protecting you with my omnipotent power. I have ordained your trials. Don't curse curse the wind when it blows out your candles. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. God has ordained our trials and He is perfecting our faith. Through them. Then God says, Because all that's true of me, therefore, let all of this be true of you. Verses 17 to 25, pardon me, verses 13 to 25. Gird your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Hope fully in my promises. Live as my obedient children. Forsake your former lust. Be holy, for I am holy. Conduct yourselves in fear. Let your faith and hope be in God. And what's the last one? What did we learn tonight? What? Love each other, what? Fervently, I hope that's ringing in your ears as you leave tonight, and I hope you put it into practice. It's what Jesus said. <laughs> it's what Jesus expects. If you if you if you're His, that's what He expects. You know, we've talked about it. God doesn't speak to hear Himself speak. He speaks for a reason. He speaks to His people because He expects things to change. He expects obedience. He expects action. So it's Sarah Grove's song. If the first twelve verses of First Peter are true of you, the last thirteen verses of First Peter will be true of you. I hope you love the first chapter of First Peter as much as I do. I love it. I'm just I may preach it again. I don't know. Just go back through it because there's still you know so much there. I'm gonna say it one more time and I'm done. It's Sarah Groves' song. If the first 12 verses of 1 Peter are true of you, the last 13 verses of 1 Peter will be true of you. It will spill out into your life if the change is real. If the lights come in, it will spill out into your life. Let's pray together. Awesome God, we thank You for Your Word. It is our rock. It is our meat. It is our bread. It is our drink. The adversary and the world come for us in myriad ways, but they cannot have us. They may get our tears. They may get our pain. They may get our grief. They may get everything that's perishable, but they can't have what matters. What matters is that You have loved us and You have done an amazing God work in us. And we rejoice. Oh God, I pray that we wouldn't let this beautiful theology just be church talk. Father, I pray we would live it fervently for the glory of Christ. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. Let's sing. uh, Let's sing another song.